Good morning. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John, the end of the Bible. Go to Revelation and kind of go left. 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The sermon today is about how we bring the beautiful gospel to campus, and specifically how, how love casts out fear. How love casts out fear. 1 John 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are enough. I am not enough. You are. And By your spirit, you pursue us through the gospel. We thank you for IPC. We thank you for the ministry of IPC all these years and for their love and support for RUF, for how many people have come to know you, Jesus, through this church and through the ministry of RUF. We give you all the praise for it. We want everyone to know Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So fear and love... There's no fear in love. It's just so fascinating to me how he says fear has to do with punishment. It's a really powerful diagnosis of the human condition. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In this primeval, perfect paradise, Adam and Eve run from God disobey God and the first thing they do is hide because of fear and their fear and shame because of the punishment the sense of guilt and we've been doing the same ever since there is a poem called Horseplay by poet George Bilgiri that I think um, really beautifully uh, captures this idea of fear and punishment and exposure horseplay i am floating in the public pool an older guy who has achieved much including tenure a child and health insurance including dental I have a Premier Rewards gold card from American Express. My car is large. I've traveled to Iceland. In addition, I once met the author, Toni Morrison, at a book signing and made some remarks that she found, in quotes, extremely interesting. And last month, I was the subject of a local news story called Recyclers, Neighbors Who Care. In short, I'm not someone that you would take lightly. But when I began to playfully splash my wife in the public pool, 
The teenage lifeguard raises her megaphone and calls down from her throne, no horseplay in the pool. And suddenly, I'm 12 again, a pale worm. At the feet of a blonde and suntanned goddess, and I just want my mom to come pick me up. Everyone is carrying a burden. But maybe the mother of all the fears is this great fear of being exposed and not being enough and being seen as we really are. And this passage goes right to the heart of it. And that's why we're on campus. And that's why IPC exists. Is because the gospel is the only thing that can really get to the core of our hearts. And so we're going to look at three things. First, the fear. Second, the love. Third, so what? The fear, the love, so what? The fear. Point number one. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. The fear of punishment. No matter how sophisticated we become as a society, we we still can't erase it. No matter how much we want to deny it. There is, first and foremost, an internalized self-judgment I've lost count. Um, I can't believe this year I'll be 20 years as an ordained minister. It's crazy. I think about that. Um, but I, I have no idea how many people over the years have told me how they punish themselves. The way they talk to themselves. The way they curse themselves. The way they hit or cut or abuse themselves how we sentence ourselves to judgment and condemnation and we mete out this punishment and we reenact years and years of vile self-rejection the older we get we get better at hiding it it almost has a physical presence it's palpable in the lives of people But along with this internal self-judgment and condemnation, we also experience an external fear of punishment. Like the, uh, the way I felt when I, would, when I was a kid and I would be like in Target with my mom, that red place. And my mom, I would do something and my mom would say, when your dad gets home, I'm not condoning a style of discipline here. I'm just saying that's what happened. And it ruined my trip to Target. Because of the sense of dread. A sense of dread of what was going to happen to me. About the pain that I was going to experience. I could feel it in my bones. And 
and how humanity, we, we're marked by a sense of doom. Why do you think we always like the, the doomsday, the post-apocalyptic movies? It's almost like, fast forward, we know it's going to be bad. Let me just watch it, the zombie apocalypse. Well, there's a sense of anxiety in it, that things are going to fall apart. When I was at Vanderbilt on campus, something that was so common was how students would always say things like, I feel like something bad's going to happen now. And I was like, why? Because something good has happened. And I was like, well, you know, that's actually called like karma, I think. I, I don't know. It's not Christian. But this sense, I, y'all kind of laugh because that's sort of how you think too. Things are going really well. Wow, something terrible is going to happen to us. Or maybe, maybe you're here today and you're covering something up. Or you're afraid of being found out about something. Or maybe you're so aware of how, how far you fall short or, or your sense of imperfection. Maybe you're always sizing yourself up to other people. I don't know what it is, but it has something like a fear of exposure, a fear of judgment. And we do a lot of things, lots of things, to try to erase it and get away from it. Like one of my favorite examples, we had a SAE Bible study in the kosher Jewish deli at, at Vanderbilt. That was awesome when I was on campus there. And at this SAE Bible study, I remember there was a guy that would, he finally was, he would listen, he would be engaging. And he said, you know, when we talk about Jesus. That's really good to hear about Jesus and stuff. But how is Jesus going to keep me from drinking 12 Natty Lights, that's beer, bad beer, on a Friday night? But here's what he's saying. You're talking about Jesus, but I have this need that's, that's a power inside of me to run from these gross feelings that I don't even want to deal with or even name. But John names them. It's fear. And all the other tributaries that flow from it. And we build institutions and this is this is something that we all know it oftentimes the church should be the safest place but oftentimes we build culture of fear like we're the good guys in here and the bad guys are out here but oftentimes it's even more unsafe in here because if you mess up you flunk out you have to leave the church if you're discovered to be an actual sinner which is what you admitted like three or four times already in the service publicly but if you actually blow it you're gone What is it, fear? What is yours? Is it a fear of getting sick? Is it a fear of dying? Is it a fear of hell? Is it a fear of people? Is it a fear of being wrong? Is it a fear of failure? Is it a fear of success? Is it a fear of fear? Is it a fear of being controlled? John knew it because John 
the writer of this letter, was Jesus' best friend. He was the one that, at the Last Supper, he was reclining, leaning against Jesus. And Brendan Manning says that he could hear the heartbeat of God. And so when he says, fear has to do with punishment, but in, in love, there is no fear. There's no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. He's saying he wants us to, to face it, to actually look what's underneath it. One wise old sage once told me to run towards the roar. He said, in your life, you need to move towards the pain, not away from it. Move towards the fear, not away from it. And he, he gave, it's an old African proverb based on how lions would hunt, apparently. And the old lions that were missing teeth that could still roar, they would be on one side and they would roar and on the other side would be the lionesses that would actually do the killing. So lion over here, he would roar. Lioness is over here, and in the middle, gazelle. Dinner. So he would roar, and what would the gazelles do? They would run the opposite direction of the roar and get caught. Twelve natty lights. The next vacation. The next promotion. The next whatever is going to finally get you away from your fear and you keep running and running and you actually makes it worse. You have to run towards the roar and running towards the roar you would run free, he said. Because here's what happens. When we move toward our fear and towards the gross things and towards the hard feelings and toward all of the stuff that we're scared to actually face in our life, you actually run straight into love. That's why this is a beautiful gospel. Surprise. Running away makes you religious. How about that? And cold. So let's look at our second point. The love we run into. Look at verse 17 with me if you have your Bible. By this is love... By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence even on the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Her fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so what John is having us do, coming to terms with our fear, not denying it, but actually looking it right in the eyeballs, that the worst about you has been completely forgiven. That the things that we're most afraid of, Christ has conquered. He uncovers it. Henry Nouwen said in his book, The Inner Voice of Love, where you are most human, weakest, and most afraid, there Jesus lives. Where you are weakest, most human, most afraid, there Jesus lives. And when you bring your fearful self home, you bring Jesus home. That's another way of saying what John Calvin said as he started the Institutes of Christian Religion. 
True knowledge of self brings true knowledge of God, and true knowledge of God brings true knowledge of self. That the closer you get to how much you actually need God, you actually discover yourself. And as you discover yourself, you discover God. Two sides of one coin. I remember, it was when I was in ministry here. I was the pastor here. I don't know if y'all knew that. For six years. I remember being in my office up there and praying, I want to be closer to you, God. I want to be close to you. I need to be close to you if I have to preach a sermon every Sunday. And I didn't hear it audibly, but I heard something sort of reverberate deep inside me. I am close to you. You're not close to you. I am close to you. I want you to be close to who you actually are, the person that needs me. And then as we move towards that, as we move towards our desperation, as we move towards our fears, as we move towards our weakness, as we move towards our sin, as we move toward our shame and toward our guilt, what we find there is not punishment. What we find there is Christ. Or as one writer put it, what you find there in the face of it, holding it underneath it and around it and above it is total, unconditional, loving acceptance. It's not target. It's the greatest surprise ever. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know what that means, propitiation. That means that that Jesus Christ became the sin. He became the darkness. He became the fear. He became the very embodiment of the human condition all in himself. Every single bit of it and brought all the judgment, all the punishment completely exhausted it into himself and not on you. And so the more you see your need for Christ, the more you see the sufficiency of Christ. Christ is greater than your sin. He became the sum of all of our fears. This is how powerful the gospel is. The second person of the Trinity, God himself. In fact, one writer puts it that there isn't a God behind Jesus that is not exactly like Jesus. God is Christ-like, and in him there is no unchrist-likeness. You know what that means? When you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God's like? He's exactly like Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus. He is the eternal I am. The second person of the Trinity became a baby. A baby. And he lives, and he went through childhood and adolescence. And he grew up and he lived this perfect life, perfect, immaculate, perfect life, the perfect spotless lamb of God. And then in his crucifixion, he looked out at the people, this blows my mind, looks out at the people who are crucifying him. And he says, Father, forgive them. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you think the Father answered that prayer? The people were crucifying him. Father, forgive them. What a radical, what a radical love. And he dies, he dies, flatlined, dead, placed into the tomb. And we say in our Apostles' Creed that he descended into hell. That means he went down below death, down below the grave, down below the most rotten, dark, evil fear that you could ever know that wraps around your heart like a black vapor. He goes down underneath every bit of it and the second person of the Trinity, the fullness of the Godhead, here's what happens. He detonates all of his power. And evil and death and sin and guilt and shame, boom. What you're carrying inside of you, you can't carry. It reminds me of a student who would also come to a Bible study every single day at five, Monday at, Monday at five o'clock. He just came every single Monday, would just fold his arms like this. He was a biochemical engineering major. Like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I don't know what to do with that. And, and he, would just, he would just fold his arms like this and listen. Intimidating. He was also like the chair of like his rush, the rush chairman. So he was also like way cooler than me too. So I'm a 40-something year old guy driving with my Honda Accord up there. So they're talking about Jesus. And then finally, after a long time, he asked if he could meet at this deli that was close to campus. And his face became like contorted, like he hadn't, like he hadn't cried since he was four. And he just told me stuff about growing up and stuff about his life. And he was just, he didn't know how to say it right. It was all just coming out. It was just flowing out of him. He would just, this is who I am. This is what I've done. He's, he said, these things that I'm doing, these things that I'm stuck in. And here in that moment, as he's crying on his turkey sandwich, I'm seeing love casting out fear. I'm watching it. The light has come into the world and the darkness will not overcome it. I don't care how smart you are. At the end of the day, we are scared little boys and girls waiting for a mom to come pick us up. And we have a Jesus that has come for us. To be perfected in love. He says, the one who fears has not been perfected in love. Now, I've read that verse many times over the years and thinking like, oh, great. That's why I'm not even good at that. Like, I'm not perfected in love. Like, what am I doing? I get like, I'm, I'm bad at doing that. I'm bad at being perfected in love. That's not the right way to read it if you've read it that way. There's probably two or three of you that are weird like me. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. Like, what is he talking about? You know what it means? He's saying that this infinite, eternal love, the deep, deep love of Jesus, that is infinite and eternal and unchangeable. It is as big as God. He's saying the more that we sink down into that love, the more our fear goes away. 
even our fear of death. The more we sink ourselves down into love, the more we trust ourselves, not just know about it, but actually know it, the more we bring the really hard things in our life, the really difficult things in our life, the confusion in our life, the more we bring that and experience Christ in that and with it. Yes, Presbyterians, I said experience. You can look up that word. Experience the depths of Jesus where we are. To taste it. Do you know that the place where you are most cursed, where you feel most cursed, that place, that is the place that He will most bless. He turned a grave into a garden. He's not going to leave anything out. And it drives away the fear. So what? I'm going to close with this story. It's my favorite story in the Gospels. Here's a living picture of this. And this is why we do ministry on campus. And this is why IPC does ministry. It's because of this Jesus that we could not invent. Mark chapter 5, there's a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And she'd spent all of her money on doctors and they didn't, they made her worse. So everywhere she went, everywhere she went, she would have to say unclean, unclean, unclean. So that no one would come in contact with her and then they would become unclean. She was socially completely ostracized. She could not do any of the things that she had done her entire life as a Jewish person. Like, I want, do you feel her sadness? And you feel like the impossibility. Do you feel like there's something that you just try and try and it never works? And then one day, love comes to town. Jesus comes into this town and he's on his way to heal uh, Jairus' daughter, a very important a synagogue leader's daughter. She's dying. And so on the way, this woman, she waits till Jesus passes by. And she scurries up behind him. And she just grabs the hem of his garment. That is the very lowest part. Like on the lowest part of this robe. The very lowest part. It just, she just grabs it like a little girl. And immediately, immediately, she's healed. Now, first and foremost, that's a lot of juice he's got there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he could have kept just, he could have kept going. He had an important thing to do, but he doesn't. He stops. And the disciples are like, what are you doing? He stops and he says, who touched, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? Someone grabbed me. He felt power go out of him, whatever that means. Who touched my clothes? Can you imagine how awkward this would be? The disciples, they, they think he's lost his mind again. They say, Jesus, everyone's touching you. There's a crowd. Like, everyone's touching you. And he just keeps on going. Like, who knows if it was three minutes? Three minutes, that's like the length of a pop song. That's a long time to be asking, who touched me? And why doesn't she come out? Why doesn't she come out of hiding? 
fear of punishment. And Jesus just keeps asking, come on, come on. And she, finally, she's, she comes out and she's shaking. She's trembling, Mark says. She's trembling with fear. And she tells him what she did. She tells him what she did. And Jesus says this. It's the only time he used this word in the entire gospel of Mark. Daughter. That's who you are. Not unclean. I know that's who you think you are is unclean. That's who you've been telling yourself is that you're worthless. And you're dirty. I know that's a really easy thing to buy because you're, the, the world's telling you that and the devil's telling you that. But I'm God, daughter. Son. Yo, we have to fight for that. Every single day, I am his son. I feel like garbage, but I'm his son. I have blown it so many times. I've fallen back into those same patterns. I am his son. I am not worthless. And those dark forces that pull at us, fear pulls at us. We have to become so habitually addicted to saying who we are because that's who we are and y'all do you know what happens when we begin to do that the more we know we are beloved that's who you really are by the way before the foundation of the earth you're beloved the more we will be loving beloved be loving. So like, we have just to admit, I'm not as loving as I want to be. It's like, I want to be more loving. How can I be more loving? The first place that God will take you, he's taken me and taken countless numbers of others. He'll take us again and again. He'll take you to how beloved you are and how desperately and wonderfully and completely loved and saved you are there is no condemnation for you run towards the roar and find jesus the lion of judah let's pray lord thank you for this opportunity thank you for ruf and thank you that we hold fast this gospel and we believe it and so many people are being changed by it some eighteen thousand students a week that is amazing. Get to hear this gospel. So, Lord, thank you for this church and their faithful support of this ministry in so many ways. We give you all the glory for it, Jesus. Amen.